Hello. Yes, briefly. No, no. I've I've made a few notes. Hopefully they synced. If not, it'll be very brief. Okay, so the main thing I think for me is around Rise and Build and just giving in general is that I remember from an early age I just made a decision that I was going to give. That like when I was a kid and I'd get birthday money and Christmas money, I would tithe on that because it was my only source of income. So I was like, this is what I've got. I know my provision comes from God, so I'm going to give to him out of that. And I think some of that is just growing up in church, hearing messages every week, seeing it modelled. I just grew up with that attitude, and I think that's really stood me well over the years. <laughs> yes. Well, most weeks. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, I made giving my priority. When I got, like, my first pay, when I got my first job, I tired straight away. That was the first thing I did. The second thing I did was made a commitment to rise and build because I knew I wanted to build the church. So those were my priorities. But then I also made that commitment that I'm like, if I'm going to be somebody who gives, it's not just to the tithes and offerings or whatever, just the regular normal stuff. If there was any special offerings, you know, to Fiji, missions, outreach, no matter what it was, my question wasn't, should I give, but how much should I give? And so that's, that's really my attitude where I've come from giving the whole time. And I've just seen amazing provision come from that. So... Jobs. So I left school, I got a job at Coles. Super exciting. But it was actually like an amazing blessing for me because it meant I could work and study at the same time. And it was just like amazingly flexible. And I had so much favour at that job. You know, most everybody else had to, you know, do the shifts they were told. And I was like, well, I'm not working Sundays because I go to church. And everyone else would be like, ooh. And the boss was like, yeah, that's fine. Like, just I got to like cherry pick the primo shifts. Like, I just had the most amazing favour there because I made that commitment. That's what I believe. And so then, you know, after I'd finished studying, you know, eight years, a degree, certificates, a master's later, um, (laughs) I was blessed with an amazing full-time job where I've been for four years and seen my wage increase by 50% in the time I've been there, which I think is pretty incredible, let alone bonuses, commissions, etc., all that stuff on top, just like my base wage. And so that's, you know, that's amazing provision that I've seen in my life, let alone the fact that I was given a piano. A brand new upright piano was bought for me. That doesn't happen. Like, I was asked to go to Granny's house because one of her friends who I kind of knew and hadn't seen for many years had come into money and decided that she was going to buy me a piano because she was buying herself one. Like, and so then I was just given a catalogue Sorry, me or him? Are you waving at me? No. Um, just people were waving at me. I was like, um, and so I was given a catalogue to choose. Like, which one do you want? Not just like, here's a piano, but like, you can choose the colour, the style, all of that. That's incredible. And then this year, I've seen amazing provision because I was blessed enough to be able to buy a house, which is super exciting. So, I mean, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Kirsty's not here to judge me about not having organised one yet, but, you know, I've only been there four weeks and she took at least six weeks to organise hers, so it's fine. Um, so, but, like, the, the amazing provision I see in that, it was, like, it was the first place I really seriously looked at and thought, yeah, I want to buy this. I put an offer in. The offer was accepted, even though they had offers, other offers for more than my offer. Like, 
I've just seen amazing provision and favour in that. And, you know, and then you have the lovely discussion with the mortgage broker who's like, oh, so I've seen you've got these, like, donations or something, like, via push pay to C3 Norwood. So, like, those are, like, negotiable type things. It's like, no. That's, like, that's the priority. Like, don't, don't mess with that. Because <laughs> that's the reason I've got this house, not, like, anything else. And so, you know... Everything came together in the last week because, you know, God's timing is God's timing and not ours. And so <laughs> I've just seen this amazing provision in my life from jobs to giving a piano to being able to buy a house. And all this stuff, I believe, has come from my decision to make a lifestyle of giving. Excellent. No, I don't, I don't want that. Thanks, George. Give me a hand. Am I? I'm on. Okay, excellent. So... We're doing God is able. I've, I've subtitled my, my message this morning, So What? Now, I did that because it's, it's short. I don't, I'm not actually being dismissive. My, the, the real question is, if God is able, what does that actually mean to us and how do we actually use that? But that was way too long a subtitle. So, God is able. So what does that mean? And so, turn with me to your Bible, with your Bibles. Turn with me, not to me. I'm not in there. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8 Uh, or you can look at it on your electronic device or you can probably see it on the screen behind me and I'm using the English standard version of the Bible because that's actually a, a more accurate translation of the Greek and it says and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. Now, we'll look at a couple of other translations of this verse in a minute. But firstly, I want to focus on that phrase, God is able. Because when we read a phrase like that in the Bible, we subconsciously assign the meaning to that <laughs> phrase that is most familiar to us. And when we say God is able, two meanings spring to mind to me immediately. The first is that if God is able... God has acquired the skills to be able to make all grace abound to us through what he's actually learned. Possible. Well, the other one is God has the innate potential to make all grace abound because of who he is. Now, a simple example of the first meaning is, and I don't know how much you know about history, but throughout maritime history, if you joined any of the world's navies, you joined as a seaman and you were taught the way of the sea. And when you'd learned enough, they promoted you to able seamen. And what that meant was that you were a seaman who was able to do everything a seaman was supposed to do. Very simple. You were basically allowed to do things unsupervised. And so the term able reflected the fact that you had learned what you needed to learn for the job. And so I don't really think that that's what the scripture is referring to here. I'm not sure that God has suddenly learned enough so that he is able to make grace abound to us. Now, the second meaning is a bit like this battery. Anybody see this? It's a very handsome battery. I pinched it off the sound desk, so it's not a brand new battery. It still has charge in it, but it's not brand new. So it's not straight out of the packet. So you might think, perhaps this battery has learned some things in its life. It's an aged and wise battery, so it's probably able to work better than a new battery. Because it's learned something. Is that how batteries work? No. But the thing is, 
if I give it to you and I tell you this, this is a new battery, you will automatically assume that if you attach it to something, it will provide power. Is that right? Now, is that because somehow in the factory they teach batteries how to, how, how to give power? No, it's, it's, an, it's an innate potential of this battery. That if you plug it in, it's got the potential to discharge the power inside of it to make something happen. It's a potential energy and it's, got, and it's an innate power of the battery. So when we read God is able in this instance, it is this potential for God to act that the scripture is referring to. But let's, let's, let's have a look at a few different translations here. The New Century Version, which was a, is a bit more modern, it says, And God can give you more blessings than you need. Then you will always have plenty of everything, enough to give to every good work. And the New Living Translation says, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So one translation says able, the other one says can, another one says will. What, what is the correct one? Because they can all mean different things. And yet if you think about it, I can grab this battery again and I can tell you that this battery is able to power, perhaps not your iPad, this, this microphone. I can tell you that this battery can power this microphone, which is still correct. And I can tell you that this battery will power the microphone. So they're, they're all correct uses of those words, and they all mean much the same thing. But I don't know whether you've noticed this, but no matter how much I talk up this battery, no matter how much I tell you that it can and will and is able to power this microphone, have you noticed that it's not? It's not actually doing anything. It has the potential to do something. And as Christians, I believe that scriptures like that are really dangerous because we love them. What is better to quote, God is able to make all grace abound to you. That's like exciting. Well, I thought it was exciting. Well, stuff it. <laughs> but they're, they're the sort of scriptures we look at and, you, and we say, God is on our side. God is for, God loves us. And God loves us so much that he's, he can make all grace abound to us. Therefore, we can sit back and relax because God is going to do it all. And a lot of Christians think like that. They read it and they think, whoa, I thought I was in trouble, but God's got it under control. I can relax and let God do it all. I have a really, really deep thing for you to remember here. I've used really complicated language so that it sounds like a good, good quote to remember. See, God does stuff to enable us to do stuff. God doesn't do stuff so that we don't have to do stuff. It's very deep. God does stuff to enable us to do stuff. God doesn't do stuff so that we don't have to do stuff. Now, I know there's things, you know, people say, well, come on, there's some things that God does that we can't do. That's not what I'm talking about here. I know that God can do things that we can't, and I know there are things God won't do because we can. But God is not interested in getting our backsides out of a sling because we've got ourselves into trouble and do things so that we, we just don't have to do anything. We actually have to do something, like this battery. 
Yeah, God says, even though I throw it on the ground, guess what? It still works. I am able to do, to, to give you grace in abundance. But same as a battery, guess what God is looking for? God's looking for a connection. God's looking for us to actually connect with that idea of grace and do something. Guess what? If I got two wires and a light bulb and I actually attached them up, the light bulb would glow. But if I don't actually do that, the potential in this battery just doesn't do anything. It sits here waiting for someone to do that. And in some ways, God is looking for the same thing from from us. He wants us to actually make a connection between what he is doing and what we are doing. And if we look at this scripture, that happens. That is exactly what God is looking at and asking for here. Let's read, let's, let's go back. Who knows that you, you don't just pluck scriptures out of the middle of the Bible and preach on them. Because it's not. God is able to make grace, grace, grace abound to you. We think, oh, that is nice. I'll, I'm going to use that. I'm going to memorize that scripture. I'm going to repeat it to myself. God is making all grace abound. He can, I can have everything I need, and there's plenty left over for other people. And you think, that's great. It's really good. But why did, God, why did Paul say that that happens? Well, let's find out. Because if we go back to verse 1 in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it starts off with Paul, and he's writing to the Corinthian church here. He says, I don't really need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know whether you've ever noticed this, but the Bible is not a dry rendition of history. Paul is actually speaking tongue-in-cheek here. He's actually goading the Corinthian church. He says, I know how eager you are to help, and I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. So he's setting them up. He's saying, look, I'm just sending a reminder here. We talked earlier. You guys were really enthusiastic. And so I I told all the guys in Macedonia how great you were. Now, I'm just slipping you a note to let you know that you better have delivered on what you said. Otherwise, you're going to look stupid. (laughs) He goes on. He says, I'm sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready as I've been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found you weren't ready after all they'd told, I'd told them about you. In other words, you know, you guys better make sure your, your money's where your mouth is, that you're not talking the talk and going to the casino. And it's, it's like he's playing with them. He's saying, look, it's not coming and saying, you guys, you promised money, make sure, you, make sure it's there. He, he turns it into a bit of a, a joke. Yeah, coming down to collect the offering that you promised, guys. Been telling everybody about it. Hope it's good. Because <laughs> if it's not, you're in big trouble. But he's getting something across here that they need, they need to make good on what they've promised. But he said, but all jokes aside, I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. 
You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God lives a per- loves a person who gives cheerfully. And then we come to the verse we read earlier. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So you see they're, they're connected. It's like if verse 8 is the battery. Verses 1 to 7 are the connection that Paul is making to God's grace. That if we do something, I don't know, it's unfair. I tell you, why is it that God always wants us to make the first move? He's the all-powerful, almighty. And yet he, he sit, he's, he's like this battery. He says, yep, I'm here. You can have all of the power that I've got. But you build the circuit. Damn, we've got to do something. We can sit there, we can worship God all we like, we can sing his praises, we can hear his word. But unless we actually get off our backsides and make a connection with God, and a connection not just with God but with his plan, it's a question of doing what we need to do to connect to the power of God. And he, he, make, he, he makes it fairly simple, he lays it out. But we have to make the first move. It, can, it only has to be a small move. You know, we're told that if we take a step towards God, he'll come running miles to step towards us. But we have to take that, that first step. So Paul's telling the, the Corinthian church that their genuinely demonstrated generosity will provoke God into providing for them to continuing that generous spirit while having provisions for their own needs as they continue to be generous to others. So there's a, there's a circuit going on here. We often express it by saying, if God can get it through you, he'll make sure he can get it to you. But sometimes we as Christians, we want, we want to be a dam. We want to get the provision of God and then block it off here so that it just builds up and we can be, we can be rich. I'm a bit intrigued, not that I really like reality TV, but there's this new thing that they're advertising called the briefcase where you get $100,000 on your doorstep and you get the choice of either keeping it, giving some of it away, giving all of it away. Um, but apparently there's a twist, which is really hard to guess um, because they basically give it away, that somebody who has a real need is presented to you and you get a moral dilemma as to whether you should be greedy and keep the money or help somebody who's in dire straits. Um, and although, I mean, it's all crap because they've planned it all out beforehand and it's all ratings television but in some ways if we think of it like that we are are actually given an an option to be a generous people and initially the the way it looks is that we're going to have to sacrifice something because we take the first step we actually give make the first move in our giving and we don't know what God's response is going to be we we have faith that the power for that response is there and we have faith that we can connect with it Unfortunately, God is not, or fortunately, God is not actually a battery. He is not an inanimate object. And his plans come to fruition in his time. So, I don't know whether you can see this, but this whole scripture is about giving. And so, what I'm actually doing here, not so subtly, is encouraging people, and when I say people, I mean you people, that giving to something like our Rise and Build campaign is actually really, really important. 
that I, it's something that I'm really passionate about. Not because I like money. I don't, you know, I don't hate money. I quite enjoy spending money, saving money. But to me, that isn't the issue. The actual use, because uh, who's ever read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? A few people. One of the comments in it was that money has caused all sorts of problems throughout the galaxy. Wars have been fought over money. And yet the author comments that they've never seen a miserable banknote. They've never seen an angry banknote or an unhappy banknote. So the money itself isn't the problem. It's actually what people do with it. And so the idea of giving to something like Rise and Build is only partially to do with the money. Because the money has power in the way that we use it. But there's actually more power in a program like Rise and Build than, than money. There are two things that actually focus us. Because who knows, a church needs to have focus. We come together, you know, we, we praise God, we, we come from different backgrounds, we have different lifestyles, different jobs. But we're not called to actually just come to church and be a conglomerate. We're not called to just be different people coming together and being separate. We're actually called to come together and be as one. We are called to be as one body of Jesus Christ. Different parts, different functions. We don't lose our identity in that. But we're, all, we're called to have a focus. And the first focus that we have is from our heart. Matthew 6.21 says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. In other words, what you're really interested in, you will invest in. And so one of the things that it helps us, it helps us invest in our, our local church. It helps us be a part of that local church. It helps us recognize that we are putting something of ourselves into the kingdom of God. And so we're invested. It, our spirits and our hearts lead us to commit time and our finances to the cause of our local church. Because it, tell, it helps us recognize that we're serious about it. And it tells other people that we're serious about it. You know, I had, once had someone in my church who came to me once and said, I really love this church. I, I, this, you know, the, the worship's great. The, 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 the connect groups, the connection I've had with people is absolutely wonderful. Um, I, I love the word of God that you preach. Um, and I, I love your messages on giving. And I'd just like to let you know that I'm giving all my money to Joyce Meyer Ministries. Because God's put on my heart that that's, that's what I need to do. And I didn't hit the person. I, I, I was very polite. This was a person on my board. Um, but I was actually very sad because that person had shown me in that one statement that they'd missed the point. They might have loved everything, but they had not put anything of this themselves in to that church. They weren't on the board much longer. Because it's about investment. It's not about the, the amount of money, but it's about the fact that we actually shift our focus and our giving to where we're being fed, where we feel we belong, and where we are invested in changing our future. And the other focus, and I, and I think this is, this is even more powerful, is the power of agreement. Genesis chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. 
It says, The Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. This is the Tower of Babel. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Now, that, now these people were, were actually being disobedient. God had told them to go and spread out over the whole earth, but they'd discovered that they all spoke the same language, they all had the same plan, so they all huddled together in this one city. And instead of going out, thought they'd build up. And God said, no, 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 that's not what I said. And so he confused them by changing their languages so that they couldn't understand each other and so they spread out throughout the earth. Same, same thing actually happened after Jesus went up to heaven in the New Testament. He told the apostles to go out into the world, but they all huddled in Jerusalem. And so they, they were persecuted and God used that persecution to actually make them spread out and start spreading the gospel. But the thing is that can you imagine? He said these people who were, were disobedient, they were doing something that was not God's will. And yet he looked down and he said, wow, if these people can unite like this, nothing is impossible. So God is even saying, even in disobedience, the power of agreement is so strong that these people could do anything with that agreement. Can you imagine if we are united together in God's purpose and God's plan, we speak the same, and I don't mean whether we speak English, German, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, or whatever it is. It's not about our physical language. It's about how we speak about our potential and our future. It's whether we are all together saying, our church has a great future. It's whether we're all speaking the same thing, our church is going to have a permanent facility. Why? Because this building's horrible? No. Because we want the kingdom of God to be available to pe people seven days a week. We only get this hall on Sundays. We cannot minister to people, well, certainly not large groups of people, any other day of the week. If we had a permanent facility, we could actually do more. We could actually reach more people. We could actually facilitate more things. So it's not about, you know, we want to move because the building's ugly. It's about the potential we have to actually become bigger people, a bigger church, a bigger influence a bigger part of the kingdom of God on this earth. And so if we're all speaking that language, and some of us aren't sitting there thinking, well, I like it small. I don't want to buy any more chairs. I don't want any more people in here. In fact, I don't like visitors. I like the people I know. I wish they'd all go away. Now, if you're thinking that, can I ask you not to? Because that's not how I feel. And I believe that as a church, we, we, we need to be on the same page with this. We are here to reach the lost we are here to train and disciple the saints. We are here to build a community which has the heart of Jesus Christ at its center and the hands and feet of Jesus Christ working outwards. If we can speak that with one voice, the power, nothing we set out to do will be impossible. And if we can actually do something, and, and rise and build is really a small part of our future. I mean, you think last year we had pledged $54,000. Now, to an individual, if I said to David, look, could you give $54,000 to the building fund this year? He'd say, sure thing. And then he'd go away and cry because it's a big ask. And Liz would cry as well. Um, but if I really asked them, they'd probably try and find a way of doing it. But 
the thing is that if you look at it in, in the scheme of things, $54,000 is not a lot of money. Most people's homes are in the hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're paying tens of thousands of dollars a year to pay for those homes. So in terms of a community, $50,000 isn't a lot. And if you divide it, say, divide it by 100. What's 50,000 divided by 100? 500? Yeah. So that's $500 per person if we wanted to do that. And if you break that down, there's 365 days in a year. So that's about $1.27.35. See, if you add in in decimal places, people think you've done the maths. (laughs) So it's between $1 and $2 a day, which isn't really a lot. Who, who has a, one, at least one coffee every day? Come on, who has at least one coffee every day? Who, well, actually, who buys that coffee? But you think, if you, buy, if you work five days a week and you buy a $4 cappuccino, that's, that's 20 bucks a week. Times that by 52, that's over $1,000 a year in coffee. No, I know it's good, but you sort of think, perhaps what if you only had one every second day? You could give $500 to rise and build. Perhaps you don't have a job. You're a student. You live at home with your parents and they give you an allowance of $5 a week. If that's you, come to me and I'll speak to your parents. But, <laughs> <laughs> but see, the thing is, it's not about the actual sum of money. It's actually about the agreement. If you could give five cents a week, or if you could give a one-off donation of $10, what it shows is that you are actually in agreement. You may not have the finances or, or the ability to do you know, $100 a week for a year. You may. But it's a question of being part of something that is, that is bigger than us. And so my, my dream, my desire, is that every single person Every man, woman, child would actually put their stamp on something, whether it's to just tick it and say, I give five cents to the building fund. Signed, Toby. <laughs> Fake it. I don't care. Hand print, yeah. A sticky paw print would do. If you've got pets at home, you know, Get your, get your cat, stick its paw in a, on an ink pad, just stamp it on the bottom. I give one, one packet of whiskers to the building fund. Because it's not about the amount. It's actually about being a group of people that God looks at us and says, Wow, those people are focused on their future. They're all speaking the same language. Nothing is impossible for them. That is what Rise and Build is about. It's about a future possibility of our church that we can actually aspire to in such a way that God looks at us and says, nothing they set out to do will be impossible. That is why I am passionate about everybody contributing because that power of agreement swings things into action that are beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension, beyond our power. And that's what I want to see. I want to see God moving and working because we have actually dedicated a focus to building his kingdom. Can we all stand?
you haven't got one of these, they're up the back. Please take one before you go. And you know, I know it's because we, we do this every year. And some of you, it's probably become a bit of a routine. It's like, yeah, okay, it's that time of year again. I'll think about it later. But I really ask you, prayerfully consider it. You may have given in the past, you may have never contributed to Rise and Build. But it's not just something we run because I look at other churches and think, well, they've got a building fund, that looks like fun, why don't we do that? It's because it actually has the power to change the future. And if we can contribute to that, if we can focus our efforts, because it's, it's also a challenge. Especially, and I I recommend that you you do this, take the weekly option. Give something every week. Because it gives us a routine to get into. It helps us actually overcome bad habits by putting good ones in their place. You, You could actually tie in your weekly deposit into Rise and Build with your Bible reading. So I struggle to read the Bible every week or every day so you could give and use it as a trigger to read your Bible possibly even to pray it's not just it's not just a collection it's an attitude and that attitude can change this world so it's important that we have it Can I get you just to close your eyes? Just allow God to get past the the barriers that we put up. Let him enter your heart. Begin to soften it. Let's start taking risks. Tell God that you let Him work on you. I dare you. Try something different. Say, look, okay, I'm going to open myself up to your voice. I'm going to actually do what I hear. I'm actually not going to be afraid anymore of it. I'm going to hear something I don't want to hear when I listen to you. pray this morning that every person here is able to receive a fresh touch of your spirit that every person can receive a fresh touch of your spirit that every person will receive a fresh touch because we have made a connection 
this morning. We have seen your grace. We know the abundance of your grace. And this morning we reach out. We connect our heart with your heart. Our spirit with your spirit. thank you Lord that as we move as we take steps in obedience to you as we come together as one heart, one voice that we hear your voice echoing in our hearts after this nothing you set out to do will be impossible for you While you're standing, can I ask you just to keep your heads bowed? And as I mentioned earlier, if you're here this morning and you haven't actually had a time in your life where you've made a resolution and come to a decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, to actually make a a turn in your life and say, okay, from this point on, I'm going to call myself a Christian, act like a Christian, have Christ as the head of my life. I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. It's an invitation that you can make for Jesus to enter your heart. A small prayer that I would like to pray with you if you want to make that decision this morning. So if that is you, you have never done that, but you want to accept Jesus as your Lord this morning. Or you may have done it before, but you know that your life doesn't reflect that decision, that you're not actually walking as a follower of Christ. You can make that decision again. You can change around begin to follow Jesus again and again and again so while every head is bowed and eyes closed if that's you this morning you've never given your life to Jesus or you want to rededicate your life to his call can you just put your hand up so that I can see it I'd love to pray a prayer with you to accept Jesus if that's you this morning Raise it nice and high. Okay. 